Definitively Speaking is a definitive healthcare podcast series recorded and produced in Framingham, Massachusetts. To learn more about healthcare commercial intelligence, please visit us at definitivehc.com. And welcome to the latest episode of Definitively Speaking, a podcast where we have data-driven conversations on the current state of healthcare. I'm Justin Steinman, Chief Marketing Officer at Definitive Healthcare, and your host for this podcast. I'm joined today by Jim Persley, President of Hinge Health. Hinge Health is building the world's most patient-centered digital musculoskeletal, or MSK, clinic, something that I'll ask Jim to explain in just a moment. But did you know that 50% of Americans experience MSK pain in a given year? So that's a pretty huge market for MSK solutions. Hinge Health sits at a really fascinating intersection of preventative care, digital technology, pain management, and physical therapy and recovery. They're also extremely well-funded, having raised more than $1 billion from leading investors like Tiger Global and Kochu Management at a $6.2 billion valuation. So let's just say that we've got quite a lot to talk with Jim about today. So Jim, hello and welcome to Definitively Speaking. Thanks, Justin. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me. Well, we are glad to have you join us. And so let's just get started. What is a digital musculoskeletal clinic? Sure, sure. So um, so, so musculoskeletal, as you said, is think about uh, joint and back pain. So hips, knees, shoulders, wrists, neck, uh, all the aches and pains that uh, some of us just getting older experience, others of us because of maybe an old athletic injury maybe an on-the-job injury, um, but that's the, that's the concept, the muscular skeletal. Um, you know, one in two Americans are experiencing MSK pain today, which is, uh, which is pretty, you know. That's a lot. <laughs> pretty phenomenal, not, not in a positive way. Uh, and it's costing the U.S. economy over $600 billion a year. And that's, that's hard dollar spend. That's not uh, calculated spend. That's not estimated spend. That's hard dollar spend, uh, eclipsing the cost of heart disease, cancer, diabetes, so it's a it's a big issue, not only from a quality of life perspective, but from a cost to the healthcare system perspective. So, um, you know, historically we've tackled this a couple of different ways. Uh, you know, one is I think we're all familiar with traditional physical therapy. Uh, you find a physical therapist and you and you go see them, and physical therapists are doing some really fantastic work. But we've got challenges with access and affordability and convenience. Um, and we can talk more about those, whether it's uh, geographic access, whether it's socioeconomic access, but 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 access and affordability is a challenge. Uh, but PT is one way to solve for it. Unfortunately, uh, opioids is another way people have uh, have looked to solve for it. And I think we've seen, if you've you know been paying attention to headlines over the last you know five to seven years, uh, the impact on opioids in this nation on the opioid epidemic is just devastating. It's just, it's ravishing families and communities. Um, and that's one way that people are trying to solve for, for MSK pain. And the third is surgery. And um, there, are, there are absolutely cases where surgery is the appropriate clinical response to MSK pain. Um, but we know there's a lot of unnecessary surgery. People who have uh, either rushed to surgery or have not had access to other, um, you know, other more conservative models of care. And so, uh, and that's what's driving a lot of that cost. It's 600 billion. A lot of that's coming from surgery. So, so all to say is we've got this big problem affecting uh, a tremendous number of people, both here in the U.S. and around the globe. It's costing us a huge amount of money, and the the historical options you know haven't been all that great uh, to be candid. So, so enter Hinge. Um, 
digital uh, patient-centered muscular skeletal clinic or patient-centered digital muscular skeletal clinic. Uh, so what that means is one, patient-centered. So let's think about how, uh, how people live, work, and play, what friction exists in the system. Again, whether it's access, whether it's affordability, uh, whether it's resources, education, but let's, let's put the patient at the center and let's think about that friction and make it uh, as delightful of an experience as we can. As we can. Um, and uh, we're going to focus on MSK pain, but not just on the mechanical elements of that. There's also a huge neurological element to it. There's a behavioral health component to it. There's sometimes pharmacological components. So we want to put a full comprehensive care team around that person um, and support them. Uh, and then digital, uh, meaning we're going to uh, we're going to interact with people uh, both um, telephonically, video, uh, and also through uh, the Hinge Health technology. So sensor technology, computer vision, uh, our mobile application to create this force multiplier effect so that people can do their physical therapy uh, when they want to, where they want to, in a way that's most convenient for them, uh, allowing them to get fantastic results that fits into their life uh, and not the other way around. So um, that is uh, uh, a little bit of an overview of kind of what we're doing. And we're seeing you know fantastic results. As you mentioned, we've, we've been around for a little while now, uh, about six or seven years. And uh, in that time, we have grown to become the world's largest uh, digital MSK clinic. Uh, we are serving um, uh, tens of millions of uh, or tens of millions of people have access uh, to, to Hinge today, uh, and we're seeing fantastic results both in reduction in pain and clinical outcomes, and ultimately in bending that cost curve, which is kind of the the double bottom line that I think we're all looking for, not just in MSK but in in healthcare more broadly. So, in that six hundred billion, you kind of break it down. You know, roughly, let's call it about four hundred billion. That is is surgery. So okay. that's that's, uh, that's con, actually going number. in surgery. Then you have you have imaging, which is a big part of that. So that's you know you go see your primary care doc and complain mm-hmm. of lower back pain, and he or she prescribes you maybe to get it to get an MRI done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a big chunk of that is imaging. You have pharmacological, pharmacological. So you mm-hmm. you know you've got drug spend, and then you have PT, which is right. about ten percent of that as well. Uh, and uh, and we actually spend quite a bit uh, on PT in this country. Uh, so, so to your point, that's all hard, you know, in the claims data spend. Then you have all the the you know the other impacts, the the lost productivity, the disability, short term disability. Uh, you know, there's all those downstream impacts as well. Got it, got it. That that really helps. Thank you for that. Now, as I'm thinking about this, like, how does this thing work, right? Because you're not replacing physical therapy. I mean, if I throw out my back, I'm still going to need PT. So, you are yep. you replacing? Are you supplementing? Are you more preventative? How do I think about this? Yeah, yeah, um, it, it's a it's a good question. So first, uh, we're going to engage a population of folks, whether it's through an employer, through a health plan, okay. through a, a healthcare provider, and we're going to assess the the clinical appropriateness of Hinge for a member. Because to your point, there are some folks who uh, maybe really should be getting surgery uh, or who need a, a, a different intervention than we're able to provide. Um, so we're going to assess the clinical appropriateness for Hinge. Um, we are delivering physical therapy, but not hands-on. And so we've, uh, uh, a little bit like a previous life, uh, when, uh, when I was at Levong, we took this concept of the elegant integration of hardware, software, and services, clinical services, uh, to deliver uh, a solution that largely looks and feels like in-person care, but again, brings all the benefits of being digital around convenience and access. So in the case of Hinge, um, we have a physical therapist at the center of the care team. 
uh, who's going to be overseeing the treatment of that individual. Um, and, and so once we, let's say I come to the program and adjust, I've got this horrible lower back pain, right? We're going to do a quick clinical assessment with the physical therapist over my iPhone. Uh, uh, yep. Yep. Okay. Over whatever device you want. Right. So we, we leverage a modern architecture, okay. bring your own device. So, so some, there's a know. telemedicine kind of angle there. Yep. Got it. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then uh, we're going to ship you in the case of lower back, we're probably going to ship you a kit that has some sensor technology uh, that you're going to wear. So, so we can see, even when we're not looking at you, uh, we can see whether you're doing the exercises appropriately. Uh, and then we're able to modify your exercise therapy, your physical therapy, uh, based on the data that we're getting. And so, yeah, so let's say fast forward two weeks now, physical therapist gets back online and says, Justin, first of all, great job. I know you're doing your exercises. You've been doing them three times a week. Fantastic. Secondly, I noticed, you know, these three things, you know, in this exercise, you know, you're, you're not bending over far enough on this exercise. Let's, let's tweak this a little bit. And this exercise you skip every time. Ah, yeah, you know what? That exercise is really painful. All right, well, let's, let's, let's take that exercise out and we'll replace it with this exercise that maybe gets at the same intention, but doesn't cause as much pain, right? So that's, so the sensor technology allows the physical therapist, even though he or she isn't in the room with you, to have that same richness of, of insight into how you're doing, is able to personalize and customize that care plan and repeatedly evolve it. Uh, and then we're gonna deliver that over a course of time, depending on what the issue is. Last thing I'll mention uh, is just not everybody can be helped by PT. Right. Um, uh, maybe, maybe I'm in too much pain to even start PT, or maybe PT actually exacerbates the pain. We've also developed uh, and brought to market uh, what's called ENSO, which is uh, non-invasive, non-addictive, high-frequency technology that almost instantaneously eliminates pain. Uh, it doesn't solve the underlying cause, and so we still want to work through physical therapy, but it reduces pain and allows you to engage in the physical therapy that's going to get you sustainably better, uh, and that has been incredibly well-received. It's almost life-changing. I I joke with people that if you've ever seen somebody using ENSO and they describe the experience, oftentimes it's a mix of, of giggling and crying because you hear stories of I've been able to sleep for the first time in, in, you know, through the night in, in two years. I've been able to get down on the ground and play with my kids for the first time in over a year. So, so it's that combination of, uh, of sophisticated technology, clinicians, physical therapists, supported by health coaches, orthopedic surgeons, uh, nurse practitioners. Uh, and then intelligent software that's looking at how you're doing your physical therapy uh, and looking for ways to constantly adjust it for, you know, for greater impact. So that's in a nutshell, kind of what that would look like. So, so that's really interesting. Let me, let me dig into this a little bit because I'm kind of, my mind's a little bit blown away by some of this. You're actually sending people like devices to like put on their back or to help them manage their pain, like real hardware, right? Correct. Yeah. Like that can't be cheap. <laughs> uh, in some cases, it's not it's not inexpensive, uh, but the alternative is significantly more expensive. Right, and so um, so yes, uh, you know some you know whether it's sensor technology, uh, whether it's whether it's Enso, uh, you know there is a real cost to that. But if you look at the alternative, whether it's ten PT visits in person uh, or again uh, unnecessary surgery or imaging, the the alternative is drastically more expensive. And so if we're successful in our endeavor, uh, we're able to really deliver a, a pretty, a pretty powerful ROI to the, to the buyer, which is in a lot of cases, a big employer here in the U S uh, a health plan, uh, a health system, maybe, a you know, um, some type of at-risk health system, Medicare Advantage plan, et cetera. 
do you worry that like people know how to use these devices? Like I'm not trained to put a device on my back or do ENSO therapy. Like how do you train people? I mean, yeah, I'm just a regular yeah, yeah. Joe. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. So, so the first thing is, is just in, in design, you know, we, uh, you, you know, we all, uh, have become, um, power users, if you will, of smartphones and mm-hmm. iPads and, and, you know, the, the idea that somebody, you know, reads the instruction manual with the iPad, I don't even know if they ship them with instructions. They don't, they ship it to you. <laughs> right. And you take it out of the box and turn on, I mean, that, that is, that is elegant design. That is user-friendly design. So that's the goal is that it, it is so simple, uh, and so intuitive that anybody can use it. Having said that, if somebody needs support, that's back where that physical therapist uh, and doing the video visit um, says, you know, let's get, you know, one, let's look at your, let, maybe it's, I'm having, I'm having wrist or back pain and, you know, Justin, do you work from home sometimes? Oh, you do. Well, let's, let's do the video visit in your office. I'd love to see you at your desk because I'd love to see how you're sitting. I'd like to look at the ergonomics. And if you're having trouble putting on your sensors, I'll help you with that as well. And so it's that combination of, of really, you know, uh, person-centered design uh, coupled with actually having a person on the other end who can assist you through that process. Is there any sort of like, you know, we talk a lot about virtual and physical and hybrid. It feels like everybody these days is talking about hybrid this, hybrid yeah. that, right? Hybrid yeah. workforce, you know, CVS yeah. is doing virtual first primary care. They're doing it, you know. Do you have a physical version of this? Like, or, yeah. do, you, or do you have like local... PTs who are like, all right, Justin, you know, we can help you over the phone, but you are making a lot of progress, but you need someone to lay hands on you too. Do you kind of have that hybrid yeah. model? So today, Hinge uh, does not offer uh, in-person physical therapy. So, you know, there's nobody wearing a Hinge polo shirt that's going to come to your house or you're going to go to a brick and mortar Hinge facility today. Um, we do, though, work with some of the nation's leading health systems, as an example, who have uh, not only in-person physical therapy, but other in-person resources. Um, surgeons, uh, nurse practitioners. And so our ability, uh, if we're serving a population, let's say in collaboration with that health system, uh, we're going to build uh, models that say, if this, then this, if, if that, then this, and, and the, then this may be, and let's get you into, uh, you know, into the health system to see any, any number of those clinical resources, including maybe uh, in-person physical therapy. We've also built the plumbing through Hinge Connect. We have over uh, 800,000 providers today feeding data uh, into our Hinge Connect platform that allows us to share um, uh, EMR data. So so not only are we we able to communicate back to the provider, but we're able to get way upstream. So like claims data, as you you know, can sometimes be 90 days before it's adjudicated and available. Um, we're getting about uh, about 15 minute latency, so almost near real time feed of EMR data coming from over 800,000 providers. So when you get that MRI order from your PCP within 15 minutes, I can see that and intervene and interject to say, "Hey, let's talk about that for a second. What's going on there?" Um, which really, one, it's a great experience um, because you get that second opinion, and two, it allows us to intercede well before. Uh, cost is incurred and before, you know, maybe inadvisable decisions are made. So anyway, that kind of gives you some sense of how we think about trying to bridge the physical and the digital uh, in new and novel ways. So who's quarterbacking my healthcare, right? So I am an individual, I have back pain, my employer offers hinge health. Obviously, I've probably seen my PCP about this, you know, the odds are, is my PCP my quarterback? Is my hinge coach my quarterback? How do I, who owns my overall care plan? Yeah. 
Um, the, the short answer is, is, is you do, at least that's our okay, philosophical yeah. <laughs> belief. Um, recognize that not everybody maybe has the experience or the education level to ask all the right questions right. or to advocate for themselves. Um, but uh, I think any of us who have, have uh, wandered through the healthcare system know that you have to be your own advocate. You have to be uh, you know, in charge of your, of your healthcare. So philosophically, we believe the answer is you. Having said that, we want to come alongside you and support you and, and help with that. Uh, so you've got, you know, you've got your hinge quarterback, um, but then, you, like you said, you may have a PCP. You may already be engaged in, in discussions with an orthopedic surgeon. Right. Uh, you may be that far down the path. Um, and, and so our ability to uh, connect those dots, we actually have an embedded EMO uh, in, the hinge, in the hinge offering, which is the only MSK digital solution that has an embedded EMO because there's times when- What's an EMO? Our, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, expert <laughs> medical opinions. So okay. That's, thank you. that's a, a hinge orthopedic surgeon is able to have a conversation, a, a consultation with other clinicians in your physical care team Okay. and, and look at, are we, are we making the right choices? Uh, both, is it the most conservative cost-effective decision, but also whether it's site of care, uh, you know, and we're able to, to, uh, to have those uh, you know, interactions ultimately with, you know, you and mine, being at the center of that. Um, uh, and, and then <laughs> I say all that some of our clients actually have, you know, you've heard the concept of care navigators, uh, you know, whether it's an employer who's, who's deployed a care navigator and they want the care navigator to, to play more of an active quarterback role. And so we're going to assess when we kind of walk into an environment, what's the landscape look like, who's involved, who are all the actors uh, and how do we coordinate them? And, and, and sometimes, you know, we have to, maybe take a deferential position to, to somebody else who's already kind of raised their hand as the quarterback. Yeah. You know, I think that is one of the a real emerging problems, not your problem, but emerging problem in the healthcare system today. I think back when I was working at Aetna, we had care navigators. People would help people. They called them care navigators, a whole department, hundreds of thousands of people out there helping Aetna members manage their care. Many of them had doctors or primary care physicians. Then if they're engaging with a hinge health, you've got your care navigators there. And then maybe if you're a diabetic, you have, you know, your old Livongo care manager. I mean, also a lot of people have comorbidity solutions, right? Right. And so suddenly you've got everybody and their mother trying to navigate your health care. And you're just like, oh, my God, how do I think about this? Yeah. I, don't, I don't have an answer for that, but it definitely jumps out to me as, as a problem that we, ha we have here. Yeah, and there's companies that are actively working to solve that to, with varying degrees of success. Uh, I think we still have, uh, you know, a ways to go. There's different uh, philosophical approaches to that. You know, you'll hear you'll hear CEOs from those companies on stage, and and each of them maybe has a slightly different opinion on on the best way to achieve that. I think all of us need to recognize, though, with humility, that we can solve a whole bunch of problems on one hand and potentially create additional <laughs> problems on the other hand. Yep. Whether it's data fragmentation, experience fragmentation, and so. Um, our our willingness and our and, uh, and again with humility to collaborate and in some cases be deferential, I think is going to be really important to ultimately building that delightful experience for the healthcare consumer. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think humility is a really strong word and, and a good word to describe the situation that we're in. You know, we are awash in technology. I mean, imagine having the conversation we just had for the past ten minutes twenty years ago. It'd be like Star Trek, right? Yeah, uh, truly. I mean, it really, truly would be. And so it's amazing that we have all these different capabilities now and the ability to treat. I think the next challenge that we as an industry have to work through is how do we get all stuff to work together? And you know, everybody has the right intentions. Everybody's trying to do the right thing. 
But sometimes we all step on each other's toes a little bit here and there with the best of intentions, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think that's fair. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of this. We've talked about our $600 billion in spend here, but this is another interesting fact for me as I think about this, right? So MSK insurance claims have almost doubled, or I think they have doubled actually in the US over the past 10 years. But the number of people with MSK conditions has stayed relatively flat. So we got double the claims, but the same number of people. What's going on? Yeah, well, it's not it's not easy to 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 point to to one specific thing, um, but you know you, you do see uh, an increase in in surgery, and and there's you know a tremendous uh, cost associated with that. There's you know a provider. There's the you know the implantable, the orthopedics. Uh, there's all the you know there's all the the extra things that come along with that. If, if you've ever seen a bill from a, you know, you know, from your healthcare provider, um, there's the professional fees and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, so surgery is driving uh, a big, a big uh, percentage of that. Um, and I think also, you know, that's the, that's the challenge of this empowered, you know, back to, you know, there's always kind of two sides of everything, this empowered healthcare consumer, you know, you've seen it with the pharmaceutical industry, you know, marketing directly to consumers, uh, you know, some of these bespoke drugs, these specialty drugs, the biologics, um, you know, they're trying to convince you uh, that there is a better way uh, through them. Uh, and so, you know, you start asking your doctor, maybe I should, you know, start taking, you know, fill in the blank specialty drug. And we're seeing some of that in, uh, with MSK as well. And, and um, you know, depending on where you're getting your information from and who's advising you and uh, what their interests are, um, you know, not everybody's worried about total cost of care. Not everyone's worried about um <laughs> you know, bending the cost curve. And so, you know, that's, I think, I think a lot of that's what you're seeing. Um, and, uh, uh, and, you know, the, the, uh, yeah. So anyway, I think that, I think that's a lot of what you're seeing. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of funny. I, I joke about this, you know, I think we need to take costs out of the healthcare system, but we can take it out, Jim, when you go to the doctor, when I go to the doctor, I want the best <laughs> treatment at the best hospital with the highest cost <laughs> drugs and cost be damned. Right. But that's hey, right. You, you save money, buddy. Right. On, on your right. care. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 I think, and I think that's how a lot of us approach it. The the uh, and it, this it's not just MSK. I mean, you could go through yeah. you know oncology, uh, musculoskeletal, behavioral health, you know, chronic conditions. I, there has to be that credibility, that authenticity, that I can actually deliver you better care, uh, at least equal care, if hopefully better care, uh, in this fashion. And if not, then you know, then I'm not going to try to you know push something on you. Um, and, uh, and that again, but that's, you know, that's harder for all these companies that are actively trying to, you know, grow their user bases and, you know, justify evaluations. And so, you know, kind of clinical appropriateness is always, uh, kind of, you know, should always be in the forefront of our minds, but maybe not everybody's approaching that way. Right. And, you know, there are new hospital wings that need to be built, uh, and you can fund them with elective surgeries. So let's not forget yeah. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's and speaking of that, you said elective surgeries have have gone up. You know, I pulled some interesting data from the Definitive Healthcare database, uh, and this blew my mind actually. So we read everywhere that you know elective surgeries went down during the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the number of total hip replacements between 2019 to 2020 increased 14 percent, and then from 20 to 2021, they increased 25 percent. So that is two consecutive years of double-digit growth in one year, 25% growth, uh, yeah. even in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah. I didn't even know how to process that. What, what do you think of that? 
So uh, some of that is macro demographics driving that. You know, um, there's not a lot of uh, you know 25 year olds getting total hip replacements. It's it's driven. You know, there's a point in time when you know just wear and tear on the body, the hip or the knee uh, starts to wear out. And so as our population ages, some of that's just macro demographic trends. Um, some of it's kind of what we talked about around uh, you, you know depending on on who you're talking to and their interest. You know, the good news is though, I actually live. I live right next door to an orthopedic surgeon uh, and, you know, and we have a lot of interesting conversations, you know, over the fence. And, um, you know, his comment to me once was, you know, I think what you guys are doing is fantastic here. And, and, and he said, you sure about that? Because one of our goals is to reduce um, unnecessary surgery. And he said, I think it's a fantastic goal. You know, Jim, if you look at my OR caseload, I'm going to be busy all day, every day, whether you exist or not. My desire is to get the right people in op- operating the right people. There's enough demand back to that kind of macro demographic shift that I'm not worried about, uh, you know, my OR sitting empty. I've got more than enough. I want to get the right people in who need it uh, that I can, that I can really help. And just based on the numbers, I'm going to have more than enough to do. And it was, you know, so, uh, you know, surgeons are not the bad guys in this. They're doing fantastic work and there's plenty of people that really need uh, surgery. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't need surgery yet, or should try something more conservative, lower cost before they get to that point. Um, and we definitely need less opioid uh, use. And uh, that that is, you know, I know we just touched on that a little bit, but 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 that's uh, something that we're really passionate about about our ability to to hopefully impact uh, the opioid epidemic in a meaningful way. Yeah, we're going to get to opioids in a second. So I got some stuff I want to talk to you about there as well. I curb some stuff, but before I go there, you you guys help with like hip, and you avoid hip replacement. And you yeah, you, you have yes. a whole other thing there. Yep. And so I want to think about you made the the aging demographic population, right? And so you're a digital solution. And it almost seems and look, maybe I'm biased by my own personal thing, but you know, I feel like I'm my father's personal iPhone tech support line. He calls me, you know, with the most <laughs> basic things every day, like shouting into the iPhone on speaker, right? And so here you are, you're a pretty modern <laughs> solution requiring yeah. digital technology with frankly a generation that may not be so comfortable. My dad's like in his late seventies, you know, may not be so comfortable with digital technology. How do you yeah. cross that chasm, if you will? Yeah. Uh, it's a very good question. So we just released a little while back, a study on older adult use and outcomes. And the interesting thing we've, we found, and this is by the way, this is what we found also uh, at Lavongo uh, with Diabetes care. I, in a previous life, I worked in global aging with Intel, and we found this in in, in a lot of in, in, kind of repeatedly. We found this that um, uh, the older population tends to be slightly slower to adopt, but is actually surprisingly uh, um, engaged, uh, even to a higher degree than younger populations, and stays engaged longer. And so it's this idea of you know maybe there's a little bit of skepticism. But once they engage, they see, uh, assuming it's been well-designed technology, how how easy and delightful it is, and they become incredibly loyal uh, and stay engaged over longer periods of time. And so, um, you know, and and we'll share that data with you. But the baby boomers, uh, in particular, uh, you know, had had uh, higher odds of seeing symptom improvement, longer uh, longer duration uh, on the program. And, uh, and and more use and engagement than than the younger population. So I think it's a little bit of a misnomer. I think we all have that story of, uh, you know, I have to be careful. I don't want to tell too many mother-in-law stories, but right. you know, <laughs> uh, I think we all have that, you know, that example of maybe somebody who who isn't 
But you know, if, if you look across the data, um, you, the, the older generations are ready. I mean, they have smartphones, they have iPads, they're, they're a lot more um, willing to embrace technology than I think we give them credit for. Huh, that's really interesting. I only tell stories about my parents, not my wife's parents. That's a key to a happy marriage. <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely safer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely safer. So are you guys doing like focus groups with like, you know, baby boomers, bringing them in, giving them your tools and saying like, hey, how's this working for you? Yeah, you know, we have, um, uh, we have a lot of populations. Uh, Medicare Advantage is an area that we do, yeah. that we do work in. Um, and, uh, and we have a lot of members, uh, that span the age spectrum, uh, from, you know, from young folks who may be sustained an acute injury, uh, an ankle sprain in a softball game. There's somebody other on the spectrum who's got, um, you know, osteoarthritis, uh, or a degenerative, you know, hip or knee. Uh, and so, uh, we're very interested in understanding the unique needs of our population, uh, and delivering solutions that, that, you know, we have an acute program, we have a chronic program. We actually have a separate uh, pre and post-surgical rehab program. We just launched uh, our women's pelvic health offering, which we're really excited about. And I have really been almost overwhelmed by the positive response and demand there. Uh, and so short answer to your question is yes, we absolutely engage in a very targeted and focused way with different demographics to understand, is this solution really targeted and, and, and personalized for them? And if not, then let's figure out how to do that. Yeah. So let's come back and talk a little bit about the opioids because I think that's a really hot topic. And from there, I also want to pivot a little bit into mental health. Uh, but starting with some of the opioids, right? huge problem in our country, just just in. Uh, you know, according to the National Institute of Health and the National Institute on Drug Abuse, roughly 21 to 29% of patients prescribed opioids for chronic pain use misuse them. And between 8 and 12% of people using an opioid for chronic pain develop an opioid use disorder. And then just to top it off, according to the American Psychiatric Association, nearly 5% of American adults say they have been, they've abused or been addicted to opioids or prescription painkillers. So you've mentioned a couple of times how Hinge can help with this. How? Yeah, yeah. Um, first, I just, I appreciate you asking. Uh, I'm sure you'll ask a bunch more good questions before we're all done, but the opioid issue really is something that uh, really strikes at, I think, the heart of a lot of people. Um, all of us, uh, or at least a lot of us, have have a personal story, a, a, a friend, a family member, a neighbor. Uh, our neighbors uh, lost their son in high school uh, to 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 a heroin overdose, and he started on opioid um, abuse. And so um, it's very personal. It's very real. And I think with COVID, uh, it took a little bit of a backseat on the front page of the headlines, but the epidemic didn't, didn't lessen all. In fact, it, it was exacerbated by COVID and, and uh, like a lot of behavioral mental health challenges, I think kind of flew under the radar for many people. So, so first of all, thank you, you know, Justin, for, for sh shining some light on it. Um, so you know, opioids can be either um, proactively prescribed inappropriately um, as a kind of a first line of defense, or it's somebody who feels like they've tried everything else and they've they've lost kind of hope and and it's a last ditch effort to live without pain. Um, you know, pain also, by the way, um, high correlation to anxiety and depression. Um, and not only is there a causal effect. They also exacerbate each other. Actually, I, I didn't. I didn't actually know this until I started spending more time here. But the neural pathways uh, used by uh, pain and and um, and also are the same ones used by depression and anxiety. And so, 
uh, behavioral health challenges can actually exacerbate the perception of pain. So, so all, so all I have to say is um, that there's, there's different ways people get into, uh, into opioids, but, but all of them share a common uh, desire to, to live without pain. I mean, I think we all, it's like a human, innate human desire is to live without yeah. pain. So we assess folks right off the bat when they come into the, into the program um, and, and, and understand where they're on their pain scale. Are they currently on opioids or are they not? Are they considering, just like we asked them, are they considering surgery? Are they considering opioid use? Um, and we're going to get to work right away on trying to eliminate pain again, whether it's through physical therapy, whether it's through um, uh, uh, coaching. So some of the trying to you know, bring, uh, bring therapy to the behavioral mental health ex, uh, aspects. But if somebody either is reticent to start physical therapy because they're in too much pain, physical therapy actually exacerbates the pain uh, when, they're, when, when they're done, or somebody's already using opioids, um, that's a great place, uh, again, for ENSO, which, um, uh, I should have sent you one before the podcast so you can try <laughs> it for yourself, but, um, but I can get you, I can get you ENSO, but it's not going to I'm pretty pain-free, you know? Yeah. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> it, uh, uh, it's, it is a phenomenal technology, uh, that again, non-addictively, uh, non-invasively can eliminate pain almost instantaneously and, and gives that person the relief they need then to engage in maybe physical therapy so we can solve the underlying, you know, root cause of the issue and avoid the need for opioids. Um, but opioid management, and by the way, we collaborate with some of our partners as well. You know, we work with some of the uh, largest prescription benefits managers in the country that have their own opioid management programs. Uh, and we work to collaborate also with them. Maybe you're already, maybe in some cases you're already addicted to opioids and you need actual medical intervention, pharmacological intervention it, you know, we're going to come alongside you and support you with that in conjunction with some of our partners. Um, so it, it, it's a big deal for us. Uh, first and foremost, trying to avoid having to use them at all in the first place, trying to get you off of them as quickly as possible. And if, and if that doesn't work, you know, how do we get you additional help uh, to, you know, to help address that abuse issue? Yeah. I really do think it's a big issue that our country needs to solve. It's it's a macro problem, but when it's your friend or your family or your neighbor or something, it's a micro problem. It's your problem. And Absolutely. I think we all need to have the fact it's the it's my problem, and that's the only way we're going to be able to fix this if everybody says it's my problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just one other side, just uh, other kind of not side comment, yeah. but, a, but a related comment is about 50%, there's about a 50% increase in risk for opioid abuse uh, before and after back surgery as just an example. And so just eliminating the need for surgery is going to change the risk profile for a lot of people. You're just eliminating that event. You know, it's, uh, yeah. you know, 0% of people, you know, uh, get into car accidents who are not, you know, in a car kind of thing. You know, <laughs> if we can, you know, if, if we can avoid uh, the need for surgery, just by that very f- fact, we are going to reduce, you know, opioid reliance. Um, if, fairly substantially. So, uh, but it, it's a multifactorial problem and it's going to require just a, again, a related comment to, um, dentists are actually a big part of the issue. And that's not something that we're solving for right. at hinge. Uh, but our PBM partners, that's a big deal. You know, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing 30 day scripts being written for, you know, having your wisdom teeth out when all you need is five days. And, um, and that's where a lot of the abuse starts as well. Sometimes it's not related to MSK pain. Um, yeah. so it's going to take, it's going to take a lot of us, like you said, to think of it as 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 my problem, not their problem. I think for us to 
to make a difference. Yeah, I, I remember that dentist thing back for again when I was at, at Aetna and CVS. We used to talk about the dentist over prescribing the, the opioids as a macro problem that we had to solve. Yep. So very yep, familiar exactly. with that one. You know, another thing, Jim, that we mentioned earlier, we, we touched on it briefly, but I want to come back to it is, you know, health equity or, or more accurately health inequity, right? And a lot of the guests that I've, I've had on this podcast have talked to us about health inequity, whether it's in rural uh, parts of the country or socioeconomic health inequities. I mean, it's a massive problem in this country. What are the trends you're seeing around MSK and health equity? Yeah. Yep. Um, so, so access and affordability uh, are big issues uh, in in MSK. Um, you know, about you know, 3.6 million Americans uh, have transportation challenges, preventing them from not just getting musculoskeletal care, but from from getting uh, the medical care they need. Um, if you're, you know, if you're a shift worker uh, and you're, you know, and you're maybe you're a, a single mom or a single dad trying to balance childcare and a full-time job, you are trying to find time to, to get to a physical therapist. Uh, you know, it's not a trivial, it's not a trivial challenge. Um, and then you add in accessibility of physical therapists. So let's take women's pelvic health as an example. Um, if you're going to go uh, to see a physical therapist, you need to see a, a trained and certified pelvic health physical therapist. And there is a shocking um, uh, uh, l- limit to the availability of these folks. We have a, an employee who lives in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, within a hundred mile radius of Omaha, Nebraska, which is not, you know, that it's a Decent metropolitan city, yeah. area. Yeah. Um, th- there are there are 18 pelvic health PTs within a hundred mile radius of, right. of, um, of Omaha, Nebraska. So you think about that. If one in four women are suffering from pelvic health, that's about you know that's about forty three million women who mm-hmm. could who need to see somebody uh, a pelvic health PT and I don't know what percentage of them live in Omaha Nebraska uh, but I'm pretty confident that that you know seventeen or eighteen PTs is not going to be able to effectively service that within a hundred mile radius no one's driving hundred miles to get PT I mean let's, that's just not going to happen you're going to suffer in silence you're going to suffer alone so there's this idea uh, that um, you know that affordability, access, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of willpower uh, and that's just not the case. And so we're really committed to addressing, like you said, kind of the, the, the inequality in healthcare, whether it's rural America, whether it's, it's women trying to get access to, to pelvic health PT, uh, whether it's making, uh, you know, making physical therapy affordable to somebody, uh, nobody should have to pick between, especially, you know, in this inflationary environment, people, nobody should have to pick between filling up their gas tank, buying groceries, or getting physical therapy to live uh, a life without pain. So we're really committed to to uh, addressing these. And and the good news is we're pretty successful in a lot of areas. You know, we haven't solved all the problems yet. But um, if you see some we're not solving, raise them and bring them to my attention, and uh, and we'll see what we can do. <laughs> I got a hotline to you. That's awesome. Yeah. So look, we got, we'll start to wrap up here. I got one last question. First, again, thanks for taking time to talk with me today. This has been great. You know, it's clear you're passionate about helping Americans with their MSK and passionate about the healthcare ecosystem and the healthcare market broadly, right? So as we close out here, maybe you could share a little bit personally why you chose to join Hinge Health. I mean, you've had a long career, you know, longer than you probably care to admit, long career Mm -hmm. uh, as a successful healthcare entrepreneur, right? You could have gone anywhere. I mean, literally, you could, you probably had your choice of jobs. Why'd you go to Hinge? Uh, Good, good question. Um. So I think back, uh, I think back on the things I've done uh, over the last, you know, 
25, 30 years. And, and the majority, especially the ones in the more recent past, have been around having a life-changing impact uh, at scale. And I think about you know Lavanga, which is where was my room was where I was most recently. And um, you know, I think about the stories talking to a mother, for example, who has a child with type one diabetes who hasn't slept in years because they're they're constantly living in fear of what happens if my if my son or daughter has a hypoglycemic event in the middle of the night. And thinking about how can what I do uh, give that mother the gift of peace and the gift of, of, um, of safety and security. And, and when you figure out how to do that and you are able to repeat that and you're able to scale that, uh, there's something profoundly rewarding about that. And, uh, as I stepped away from Lavongo and reflected on, you know, what I was going to do next, uh, it feels like been, I've been doing this a long time. Um, uh, I still though have hopefully some runway ahead of me. Uh, you and me my both. wife certainly didn't want me to stay at home any longer. Um, but, um, thinking about what you can do next, I want to do something that, that, you know, that, that mirrored some of that ability to, to deliver life transformation at scale in a very authentic way. And, and I had been an advisor to hinge going back to 2017 and we shared a lot of the same clients and I would, I would go into a, um, a Boeing or an AT&T or another large employer and ask, Hey, tell me about this, about this hinge thing. Is this thing legit? Um, and, uh, and that's back when, you know, there was no reason not to get the straight scoop. Uh, I, I think it was an objective conversation, and people would say, uh, "Not only is it legit, Gemma, I don't no disrespect to what you're currently doing. It's the most popular program we've ever launched. It is the number of handwritten thank you notes, the number of testimonials we get from our people uh, is absolutely overwhelming." And so I had a sense that this was authentic. This was that this was the real deal, and um, but then I also saw. While Hinge had come so far, how much further they had to go. I mean, you know, Hinge is about six years old, now seven years old. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so in some ways, we've accomplished a tremendous amount, but, but are really in the early innings of what we can and, and really need to do. So it just felt like that, that perfect opportunity to, to bring some of the, of the experience, um, you know, you, you gain experience by making mistakes and learning the hard way, uh, you know, bringing that to, to Hinge to help hopefully uh, accelerate, uh, uh, our shared chance to, to have an impact at scale. And so, and the good news is, you know, Justin, uh, it, it's every bit of what I had hoped for and more and, and the quality of the people, uh, and the quality of the work that we're doing. Um, I feel, you know, I feel tremendously blessed to be here and, and, um, and hopefully get to, uh, get to achieve that goal of giving life change to millions of people around the globe. I, I like that goal, right? You know, what can we do to make the world a better place every day? So Jim, thanks for taking the time. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Justin, thank you. And all the best to you and your family. And uh, here's to building a healthier world together. Amen, brother. Amen. And to all the listeners out there, thank you for listening to Definitively Speaking, a definitive healthcare podcast. Please join me next time for a conversation with Doug Bean, Chief Commercial Officer at Cala Health about bioelectronic medicine. Now, if that sounds like something from Star Trek, then you want to join me next time to learn why it's science, not science fiction, because it's the next big thing, or it might be the next big thing in treating chronic disease. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about how healthcare commercial intelligence can support your business, please follow us on Twitter at DefinitiveHC or visit us at DefinitiveHC.com. Until next time, take care and please stay healthy.